week in our message, Corruption Cometh, the Lord, uh, the Lord's all-out assault on the gods of Egypt continued as he sent filthy, disease-carrying flies into every Egyptian home. This devastating swarm was designed to not only discredit their god of creation named Kepri, but was an attack on their physical well-being and at the same time a way of defiling them religiously. Cleanliness was hyper-important to the Egyptians and fundamental to their religious pursuits. So the filth of the swarms disrupted their entire culture and their religious foundation. Yet in the midst of this devastation, God had created a refuge for his people in the land where they would escape the swarms, thus picturing what he, had, what he has done for us as children of God in a world overrun with corruption. This week, is, uh, God is going to further humble the Egyptian people and Pharaoh by attacking not only another god, but also their economic infrastructure as well in our message, which is titled, Worshiping Wealth. Let's pray. Lord, you know that you have uh, you've spoken to me, Lord, and I'm so thankful. Uh, Lord, my heart's desire today is to simply vanish. Uh, Lord, that the human element might be removed, and Lord, that the very words that I shared be the ones that you would give me. You have spoken to me, and I, Lord, I'm just begging you to speak through me. That, Lord, as I uh, bring the word, Father, that it will not be anything that I would choose, but, God, exactly what you would choose for us to hear. We're a needy people. We're, uh, Lord, uh, in desperate need of truth. And, Lord, I pray that you will bring us truth today that will resonate in our hearts and change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Just to give us a little bit of a, a, a refresher, last week, if you were here in Exodus uh, chapter 8, verse 26, uh, this is what happened. With, it says, and Moses said, and this is when he was confronting, speaking with Pharaoh, he said, and Moses said, it is not meat so to do, for we shall sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. Lo, shall we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, and will they not stone us. What he basically is saying is, look, look, you want us to go close by. Pharaoh was saying, look, uh, you're asking to do a three days journey out so that you can make these sacrifices, but I want you to do it close by. And their thing was, Moses is saying, look, if we're going out and we're doing these sacrifices, the Egyptians are going to get really upset because these are things that they worship and they're not going to believe in what we're doing. So what's going to happen is the, the backlash is going to come back on the Egyptian people. God's desire is that and that's not what it's for. God wants the, the backlash to come back on him. He's the one taking responsibility. He's literally the one that is defending them through fighting for them. And we're going to find out as we go through each one of these plagues, each one is a specific attack upon a different God that the culture, the Egyptian culture, worships. So he's directing it towards himself instead of them. The Lord is fighting for them, and he's shielding them from the danger that they would experience through serving him and making these sacrifices in view of the Egyptians. So as God's attack on the Egyptians continues, what's going to happen now is he's going to shift to a new target. He's going to shift to a more valuable target, okay? A more valuable target. In Exodus 9, verses 1 through 7, which is where, we're going to be, where our text is today, verse chapter, chapter 9, verse number 1, it says, Then the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh and tell him, Thus saith the Lord of the, the, Lord of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Now, I want you to think about this. Remember last week when he talked to Pharaoh, it was a rather tense, tense moment, right? So he went away. Pharaoh did not listen yet again. He hardened his heart again. So now Moses goes back into the throne room. And you've got to imagine it's pretty uncomfortable right about now. This is how it left it. This is how, it, how he left it last time in Exodus 8, 29. And Moses said, Behold, I go out from thee, and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. But let not Pharaoh deal deceitfully anymore in not letting the people, of God, the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So basically, not only does he challenge him, but he actually is threatening him that last time that they speak. And we know that God, that, that Pharaoh hardens his heart. 
We know that he's resolute in his attitude and his rebellion. Notice also that this is not a request. He doesn't go on, would it be nice if you let him go? He actually commands and orders it with this boldness that God's given him, right? And what's really cool about this, you think about whenever Moses initially went to go to talk to Pharaoh, he was very nervous, right? He kept trying to make up excuses of why he couldn't do it. Man, I'm not the right guy. I can't speak well. I'm going to mess it all up. What's he going to think? Uh, now, we see a pretty pretty stern dude, right? I mean, he's standing up for, for what he believes in. He's, he's calling out Pharaoh, right? So there's a stark difference in who he was then and who he is now. And what we see is that's a confidence not in Moses himself, but it's a confidence in God. God's faithfulness has been revealed, and now what happens is Moses now stands boldly, not because he's this bold guy, because he trusts the Lord. And see, guys, it's just exactly like preaching, right? For me, because I'm telling you, I, I've never felt uh, adequate to do what I'm doing today. I don't feel as if I have the ability, the talents, and skills in my flesh. I feel like, you know what, I'm going to mess this all up. But at the same time, what's wonderful about it, in the same moment, I can feel completely inadequate and have complete confidence because God's the one that does it. And if we realize that when you, God calls you to speak to somebody, you don't have to be bold. You don't have to be talented. You don't have to be skilled. All you need to do is be faithful. Because if it's going to have any impact, God's got to be the one that does it. You're not going to convince them because you're super smart and you've got talents and skills to the ability to share them. If it's in you, guess what? It's going to turn out to be a big flop. And if today flops, it's on me. If it goes great, it's all on God. So we'll just pray that it goes well. All right. <laughs> so we look here. We simply says, look, you know, there, there's a difference here. Now, it's getting to be really, really uncomfortable in the throne room because as things are starting to, you can see the attitude that Moses brings into this room. Verse number two, it says, and if thou refuse to let them go and will hold them still. Notice this, the fact that God is still engaging, Mo, or engaging Pharaoh in this conversation reveals great patience on God's part because he already threatened him that last time. And we see God's going, you know what? I'm going to get him yet another chance. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut him a break. I'm going to give him another chance. And many of us would sit there and go, you know what? If this was us in an interaction with someone else, I'm like, dude, this is, let's see, let's see, this is the fifth chance he's been given. The guy's still got a hard heart. I mean, have I not been more than fair? Can I just be done with this dude? How many of us? Five times, that's a lot, right? You'd be like, look, man, what's your deal? Five times I've given you a chance, and you keep dropping the ball. But what we find is God has great patience. Thank God he has great patience. Because how many of us have dropped the ball? Oh, my goodness gracious. <laughs> more than five times. How about 500 times? Yet God still has patience. How amazing is that? And there's also a really interesting term in here where it says, not hold them, right? Hold them. That actually gives an idea that, he's being, that they're being held with a hand. And look at how God's instructions continue in verse number three. Behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thy cattle, which is in the field, upon the horses, upon the asses, upon the camels, upon the oxen, upon the sheep. There shall be a grievous murrain. A murrain is a disease that would strike cattle and animals, and it kills them dead as a hammer, okay? This assault is against a myriad of the gods, but and because there's a lot of them that they would worship, but there's one in particular that this is kind of going after, okay? And this goddess' name is Hathor. Hathor is a really, really powerful goddess. But we, to give a little bit of recount to kind of think back what we've seen, he's undermining. Remember, this is a religious attack. He's undermining their faith system. First, he, he went after Hopi, which is the river god. Then secondly, he went after Hecate, which was the fertility god. Third, he went after Geb, which is the god of the land. Then fourth was Kepri, the god of creation, which was through the flies. And now this fifth one, Hathor. Hathor was the golden goddess who helped, who helped women to give birth. 
the dead to be reborn, and the cosmos to be renewed. They actually thought that the sun rose and set, and this was on Hathor's, Hathor's duty. This complex deity could function as a mother, a consort, and even the daughter of the creator God. There were many, many lesser goddesses uh, that were actually named Hathor, and uh, she was actually considered to be the mother of a really, really powerful god whose name was Apis. And Apis was a big black bull, right? And Apis was, uh, was, was, was revered. And you'll actually see an image I've got. And it's really cool. These are actually images. These are about three or 4,000 years old. Of, and what's, I was talking to my wife. <laughs> I was like, some of these guys are not such good artists. This guy right here, I was thinking this might be a kid's project maybe that they did. But uh, anyway, <laughs> that's a 4,000-year-old picture, 4, picture of Apis. Um, then also we see uh, Hathor. She was many times a woman wearing a red solar disc between a pair of cow's horns. You can see here in, the, in this hieroglyph that we see. She was also symbolized as a cow with a sun between its horns, and you see a statue right there. Now, they're also, they created temples that were all built specifically for worshiping her, and you can see her right here on these sides. Massive structures, right? All focused upon this goddess based upon the bull, okay? So the continued attack on the gods of Egypt was a, had, would make a dramatic impact in another area as well. It was not just a matter of undermining their religious beliefs, but there's another part of this which is really, really important, and it's their system of commerce. And I'll explain to you why that's the fact. The wealth and the financial status of the entire kingdom was all tied to its resources, okay, and specifically tied back to its livestock, tied back to its livestock. Now, today on our finances, when you think about wealth, we think about a big stack of cash, right? Right? $100 bills, right? Hundos, whatever it is, and the things. So what happens is we think about money, but the thing is, with, with money, there used to be a time in a, 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 there used to be a time in the United States where all of our money was backed, right? Our currency, there was actually a, a, a reserve, right? And they would have gold and they would just have silver. And that what that did was that gold and that silver made the money have value. Now that's no longer the case today. They no longer have that. But in this structure here, right? In the Egyptian structure, that's the way it functions. If they had a coin, that coin was made of a precious metal. And if they did not have a coin made of precious metal, many times what they would actually do is they actually use livestock. Egyptians used animals, particularly sheep, for money. Gold pieces have been discovered by archaeologists that have actually shaped just like sheep. They are believed to be the earliest form of currency in Egypt. Now, if we look back, and I'm going to give you a little bit of a little bit of proof on this and the value of livestock in this culture. If we go back to Genesis chapter number 47, this is going to be Joseph, okay? Joseph was a, was, a, was a young man, an Israelite. He was taken captive, eventually became the number two guy in all of Egypt. And what happened was they had a great famine and people came to him to get food. And this is what happens in Genesis 47 verses 15 through 17. It says, and when money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came unto Joseph and said, give us bread for why should we die in thy presence for the money faileth? And Joseph said, give your cattle and I will give you for your cattle if money fail. And they brought their cattle unto Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for horses and for the flocks and for the cattle of the herds and for the asses, and he fed them with bread for all their cattle for that year. So livestock is a currency or a commodity. A commodity is something that has worth, right? So the great wealth of this nation would be displayed through their livestock. There are hieroglyphs that you can find where they show these men revealing and showing all of their cattle and all of their, their great wealth, but it was their resources that they were reflecting. So not only do they display the wealth, but they also display that they are the backbone of the functioning of that culture. 
okay? So things like cattle were very, very, very important. Now, what's interesting about cattle is, yes, they were worshipped. Without a doubt, they were worshipped. But at the same time, they were also used for food. The more wealthy people would actually eat them. They would kill them. But what they did is they did very specific about the way that they would be killed. It was done in a ceremonial fashion. But at the same time, they, so they would get, let's say, leather from them. They would get meat from them. They would also get milk from livestock, okay? So we also look here, um, they butchered them, like I said, in a very specific ceremonial format. Horses were a symbol of prominence. I have a picture, so you can see these horses. These guys are a little better, little better artists than the other guy. Um, they were used by the military for pulling chariots. They were also used in transporting people that were more wealthy, and they were also used in ceremonial purposes, okay? Then you had donkeys, okay? Donkeys were more of a beast of burden, okay? Uh, it's kind of like this, if you looked at them, this is, uh, this is Joe Schmo. This is the average person, right? So you have average folks. The common people might have a donkey, and other people, wealthy people, might have donkeys as well, but they would not be having horses for these folks. And if you think about this, as we compare it to our structure of today or the way our life works today, a horse was kind of a thing of prominence, okay? So this is kind of like, let's say uh, you've got a nice Mercedes, and you roll up to the light, right? And then I roll up in my Malibu beside you, right? And you look over at me, and you're not going, man. Look at that Malibu. But I might be going, man, check out that Mercedes, right? So with a horse in the cart, when they're sitting at the light, you might be sitting on your donkey going, man, look at that horse, man, dang. And he's looking up at your cart going, give me a break, right? So in their structure, that's kind of the where we're at, okay? That's kind of the where their mindset is. So we think about this. The donkeys, like I said, they're beasts of burden. They were used for transporting and carrying supplies and materials. Sheep provided leather. Uh, meat and wool. While some of the animals were owned by the common, like I said, they were also, some were specifically for the upper class. Livestock animals, they were the very lifeblood of the functioning of this society, okay? And this is an important point that I want you to remember. What made their society function and flourish was also what they worshiped, okay? And that's a really important point for us as Americans to consider and think about, okay? Now, are we any different? If I asked you today, do you have any idols? You'd be like, idols, come on. I don't have any idols in my life. That's ridiculous. That's silly. That's, that's crazy stuff. Okay? But let's just look a little bit deeper. Okay? Well, okay. I don't worship my phone. Let's look at it. Yet, they have an altar for it by their bed. Anybody else? All right. Phone by your bed. It receives your full attention first thing in the morning may receive your last glimpse or thought before you go to bed. It's at your beck and you're at, it, you're at its beck and call all throughout the day. You must always know where it is. Keep it close. Oh, here's a good one. If it's lost, it's the end of the world. <laughs> <laughs> I lost my phone. I lost my phone. Can you, can you see my phone? Somebody call my phone. Have you, call my phone. Call my phone. Somebody call my phone. <laughs> call it. I got to think about my thoughts. Ding, ding. Where is it? Oh. Right? <laughs> Kind of sounds like an idol, doesn't it? Hmm. I don't worship my car. Hmm. Let's look at it. Yet they want others to see it and admire it. See my donkey? I see my horse. <laughs> they meticulously carry, they are meticulously caring for it. They will take it places to show it off and to brag about it. It's their main topic of conversation. They spend hours and hours learning about it. They might just sit and stare at it. 
Man, I just cleaned her up. You see, you see? Just cleaned her up. She looked, man, look at those wheels, man. See, I put that black on the wings, on the wheels. Yeah, man, it's shiny. The only thing is that when you drive and it spatters the stuff on the car, so I got you know, to bring a rag with me because it might spatter because I got to keep it clean, baby. Keep it clean because you know what I'm saying? People are going to be looking. Right? Sounds like an idol. I don't worship my sports team. Yet they wear clothing that promotes it. Their devotion and commitment is lifelong, no matter how badly they may do. It consumes their conversations. I think about this when I'm at the gym. I, man, I'm telling you, the game before, everybody's talking sports, football, basketball, you can hear it. It's on TV, constant conversation, right? They have details and facts about their team memorized. They display the team logo any and everywhere they possibly can. They will devote their entire Sundays to it. The stadiums and the arenas are treated as sacred places. Sounds like an idol. Think about this, Chicago Bulls, Denver Broncos, Los Angeles Rams. Sound a little bit like idols. And there are plenty of other examples in our society. We worship things like celebrities, people, right? We put them up on a pedestal and we treat them like they're not human. Oh my goodness gracious, did you see what they're doing? Did you see what they're wearing? Did you see the haircut? He grew a beard, that's unbelievable. <laughs> wow, he looks amazing with a beard. I should grow a beard too, because that looks like, yeah. I mean, people say we kind of look alike, so I mean, probably, yeah, the beard seems to work on him. I should definitely work on me, I should do it, right? We get fascinated and fixated on these people, or maybe on ourselves, right? Oh, self-improvement. Be my best person, be my best me, work on me, or self-promotion, right? How many followers have I got? I want to check it out. Oh, got two more today. I should look up their profiles and see what they look like. Oh, right? <laughs> or it even slips into our culture, right? American idol. We have idols in our culture. Idols. And people go, I don't have any idols in my life. Check this out. Exodus 20, verse 3 through 5. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water but underneath the earth. Uh, it says, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them, for I, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. He's saying, look, you know what? The issues that you have in your life, these problems you have with honoring me and you honor these things, guess what? Your kids will see you do that. And those things can carry down from you to your children to your grandchildren. And your issues that you have are not just yours. They'll affect others. And notice the word it says here, those that, it says them that hate me. Hate me. Luke 16, 13 says this, no servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot do one or the other. You've got to, you can't do both. You've got to do one or the other. James 4, 4 says this, Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. The enemy, meaning one that hates another. So idolatry is serious business with God, right? Serious business with God. And these next instructions, see, uh, look at the way that God displays grace as he gives these next instructions. Verse number four. 
And the Lord shall sever between the cattle of Israel and the cattle of Egypt, and there shall nothing die of all that is the children of, Egypt, of children of Israel. Again, we see a picture of redemption, and we see the grace of God sparing the Israelites. The reason why I say that, we know for a fact that there is idol worship, actual cattle worship within the Israelites. Remember, when we go to Exodus 32, Moses goes up on the mountain and he comes back down. What are they worshiping? A golden calf, cattle worship. They're worshiping those very same thing. But yet we see God give mercy and grace in protecting their livestock, right? Again and again, God displays grace and mercy. What's beautiful is the fact that God's character has not changed. The same character that we see here that he displays to them, guess what? He displays it to us as well. We can look in our own lives. Malachi 3.6 says, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Thankfully, he's still extending mercy and grace to the undeserving. Hebrews 5, 4, 14 through 16 says this, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Let us hold on to our faith. Verse 15, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He understands our pains, right? Understands our pains. But was in all points tempted like as we are, understands what it's like to be a human being, understands what it's like to go through the trials of life, and it says, yet without sin. Verse 16, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to him and help in time of need. The awesome thing about God is the fact that the same thing is true for us today. The exact same thing that we see him do for those Israelites, the patience that he has, the grace he's willing to display. If it were not for this, for this aspect of God's character, there would not be a saved person on the planet Earth. Not a single solitary one. This place would be void of any child of God. But because of God's grace, we are here. Because of that, because of his character, because of who he is. Verse 5. And the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord shall do this thing in the land. What you need to understand is God already has his calendar marked with every future event that is coming. It's not going to be one coming up where he goes, Oh, dang, forgot that one. Nope. He's got them all pre already established and already knows what's going to take place. God sees the future. Ex Ecclesiastes 3, 1 says this, To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. Now, so everything God's got planned, he's got a plan for it all. And it's going to work out perfectly as he intends for it to work out. But what happens with us is we don't necessarily always have our plans work out the way God has, Right? We sort of think things should go a certain way. I was thinking about this. When I was little, I had a very vivid imagination, if you can imagine that. And I thought about this. If I was a little kid, about four years old, if I had a Superman cape, or if let's say we had a Superman cape, and you received that and you'd read some comic books and well, looked at the pictures in the comic books, and you'd seen some cartoons and you'd watched a movie, you're thinking, there, going, man, this thing made me fly. I got no doubt about it. I'm going to be able to fly. Yep. And for weeks and weeks and weeks, you got this plan. You're going to climb up on the roof of your house Right? And you know your, your best friend lives two houses over. And you're like, dude, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to put on my cape, and I'm going to fly over to JoJo's house, and I'm going to bang on his window. This is going to freak him out. It's going to be awesome. Right? And in your mind, you've got this thing built up, and for weeks and weeks and weeks, you're planning it. I've got to get up on the house. We have that thing on the side. Yeah, we've got a trellis on the side. Of the house. I can climb to the top of the house. So you've got the whole thing. You've already, you can already see the outcome. You can imagine JoJo's face when you bang on the window, flying outside the window with your cape. You can see it. But that day comes, and there you go. Start climbing. 
And halfway up, mom comes out, what are you doing? Honey, get down. And as she's trying to pull you down, are you like, oh, mom, you're right. No, man. I can see it, mom. Do you not realize you're ruining my plan? I'm going to fly to JoJo's house. Thankfully, she stops us, right? Because if you jump off a 30-foot building, you ain't going to survive at four years old, right? That's big trouble. So she has a plan that's for your long-term betterment and for you to survive and to do well and to thrive. God is exactly the same way. You may have a plan that you are dead set, sold out on. Man, that four-year-old, he does not doubt that he can fly. He does not doubt that it's the greatest plan in the world. He does not doubt the result. He can see it in his heart and mind. And that happens to us. We have things that we get aside. You know what? This is the best thing for me. And it needs to work out. And God, you need to put a rubber stamp on what I want. And when it doesn't work out, we sometimes get frustrated or upset at him. We've got to realize the fact that God many times is protecting us from things that will hurt us. And we have to trust in him. That's where faith comes in. Verse 6. And the Lord did that thing on the morrow. And all the cattle of Egypt died. But of the cattle of the children of Israel died not one. Not one. And I want you just a little bit of housekeeping here, okay? As it says here that all the cattle died. We're going to see in the next plague, it's going to talk about the cattle getting boils. And we go, well, how in the world can they all die? And then that in the future, they're going to be chasing with chariots. They're going to be pulled by horses. Aren't they all supposed to be dead? But I want you to notice back in that verse, in verse number three, it says this. Behold, the hand of the Lord is upon all thy cattle, which is in the field, Okay in the field, upon the horses and upon the asses. So there are some that are spared. Also, remember that the Israelites are not going to have any of theirs are going to die. And the Egyptians have the ability to cross the line and take whatever they want to. And I'm sure they have no problem doing that. We're going to know that Pharaoh's going to check things out and know that they exist. Verse number seven. And Pharaoh said, and behold, there was not one of the cattle of the Israelites dead. And the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. Pharaoh gets confirmation that exactly what God said was going to happen, happened. You know what? And his rebellion maintains, and he doubles down on his, Ill, his ill-gotten thoughts and his false gods, and he refuses to give in. Now, when people are confronted with their idolatry, they can do one of two things. They can repent, which means turn away from that idolatry and turn back to God humbly. Or they can stubbornly live in denial and hold even tighter to what they believe. Right? Now, Remember Exodus 20, verse 5, it said this, Thou shalt, know, y'all shalt not bow down thyself to them, not serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. Okay. So what if we assessed our own lives today? What if? Okay. What if when it came to the Lord Jesus Christ, we had an altar for him by our bed? Amen. He received our full attention first thing in the morning. He received our last glimpse or thought before we went to bed. We were at his beck and call throughout the day. Mm-hmm. We had to always know where he was, be close to him. And when we felt lost from him, it's the end of the world. We want others to see him and admire him. What if we meticulously cared for our relationship with him? What if we want to show him off and brag on him? What if he was the main topic of our conversation? What if we spent hours and hours learning about him? Yes, 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 amen. amen. What if we just sit and stare at him through his creation? Yes, thank you, Jesus. We wore clothing that promoted him. Our devotion and commitment to him was lifelong. He consumed our conversations We had details and facts about him memorized. 
We displayed symbols of him any and everywhere we could. We would devote our entire Sundays to him. And his church was treated as a sacred place. We have idolatry in our lives. We all do. We're all guilty. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. An idol is something that you worship. And through what we see here, we worship it. How would our walk with the Lord be if this that I just read described our walk with God? How much different would it be? Let me assure you that one day when life is over and we stand before the Lord, He's not going to high-five you because of the newest phone that you had right before you took your last breath. He's not going to congratulate you on the car that you were driving. How many followers you had. He's not going to celebrate because our team won the championship. You know, in fact, he's not going to care in the least. And in that moment, neither are you. It won't mean a thing to us. Because what seems so valuable on earth has no value in heaven. But what means so much in heaven is devalued on earth. We waste so much time and energy and effort on things that don't mean anything. We waste effort and emotion and focus upon things that take us away from God. And all he's saying is, you know what? I have no other gods before me. Don't have anything else before me. Mark 8, 36 says this, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Will we invest our lives into worshiping God, who is the only one worthy, or will we waste the precious moments of our lives worshiping wealth? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the wisdom, God, that's uh, so beautifully displayed through the examples that we get to see. These things are truly historical. They took place, but God, there's also a devotional aspect to them, Lord, that, that we're to apply to our lives. And there's a, a prophetic part of it, Lord, that we get to see into the future and see the grace and the love of God amidst idolatry. Thank you for the patience that you display to us. Thank you, Lord, for the work that you've done in our hearts today. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have, God, to hear from your word and, Lord, then to be able to apply it in our hearts and in our lives. Are there any of us here today? Maybe we need to come to the altar and repent of the idolatry that we have in our lives and refocus God in our hearts. Are there people here today that say, you know what? I may have idols, but you know what? I don't even necessarily know that I have a relationship with God. There was a time for me, guys, 17 and a half years ago that I did not know the Lord. I was not raised in a Christian home. I wasn't raised to know God. I didn't know anything about anything. I'd never even looked at a Bible before. But someone took the time because they had a heart to care for someone else. And because of their compassion, they opened the Bible and they shared with me who God was. And they showed me His compassion and His grace and His love and His desire to know me in spite of who I was. He loved me anyway, even though I was a great failure in His eyes. Yet He still loved me. And in that moment, that night, I made a decision to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. And it changed my everything. And it can change your everything. If you're online, wherever you are, you have an opportunity today 
where you can receive the same gift that I received. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a matter of faith. It's not a matter of religion. It's about the fact that Jesus Christ knows you by name and he loves you exactly as you are. And he wants to receive you as his child today. He's calling out to you, I can promise you. The question is, will you respond? If you're here today and you say, you know what, I do not know for sure, but I want to know. I may have a religious understanding of God, but I don't have a relationship with him. I don't say that I can't walk with him. I don't know him, but I want to. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. It's not going to call you out. This is nothing public. I'm going to lead you in prayer. This is something private in your own seat. You can receive Christ. It does not take a person. It doesn't take any kind of things, anything special other than a heart that's willing to receive. And if your heart is broken and you want to receive the gift of God, you have that opportunity now. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, if you would like to receive Christ by faith, it's not a magic prayer. The words will do nothing for you. God's listening to the intent of your heart. I'm going to lead you in prayer. You have an opportunity to pray and receive that greatest of all gifts. Repeat after me in your heart and your mind. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner, that I've done things wrong, and I've broken your laws, and I'm sorry. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. I'm asking you to apply your death to my debt. Lord, that you will do a work in my heart and help me to become your child. Father, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and save my soul. I call out to you by faith, trusting you for my eternity. Thank you for saving me. I will see you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.